Hi everyone, we're excited to finally present these guest episodes to you. But keep in mind this interview was recorded on September 29th, 2020 during all the craziness. But without further ado, here's the episode with Anish Bora. Pixel Perfect Podcast focuses on how creatives gain an understanding of failures that have shaped and contributed to their success during the course of our talk. We would dive deep into our guest's design journey, have an insight into their process, and let them unfold their experience with the world. We believe that unique stories and meaningful messages are worth empowering and sharing so that they will inspire creative minds to pursue their calling. For this week's episode, we are very excited and pleased to welcome Anish Bora to our show. Born and raised in India, Anish has completed his study in the U.S., and now he is a UX, UI, and graphic designer currently working for Pegasystems, a digital software company that helps businesses achieve their goals. With a long list of impressive work history, Anish possesses tremendous knowledge and a skillful mind that gains him an advantage in design thinking. He graduated from Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina with a degree in studio art, information technology, and Asian studies. He has always been fascinated by all things graphic design related and actively participated in delivering creative services for the school's different departments. After his college education, Anish has not stopped pursuing his goal of graphic design. He held a junior designer role at Penguin Random House in New York City, working on multiple marketing platforms and strategies. Then he moved on to become a founder of Creative Huddle, a design community that connects creative minds around the world and shares designs and art knowledge. A little fun fact about Anish, he loved to sing, although we could not convince him to perform this this time. Um, And he also uh, completed a study exchange program at Sanan Kukin University in Japan. I probably butchered that. Um, pronouncing, pronunciation. Um, in Japan, uh, he learned Japanese, um, and that's quite a journey for, for Anish so far. Um, in our conversation, you will learn more about Anish as well as his desire and confidence have shaped him to become the creative he is now. Without further ado, please welcome to the show, Anish Bora. So welcome, Anish. Um, how has quarantine life been treating you? Yeah, um, hasn't been too bad, I would say. I haven't had to face a lot of hardship that a lot of folks have faced during this challenging time. So in a weird way, it, it, it hasn't been too bad, uh, but I have tried to keep myself busy. And I think a lot of like thinking about what I am doing with uh, my skills and how I can give back to the world has been a center uh, during this time. And yeah, not too bad. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Oh, sorry, go on, Andy. Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask, what are ways that you help out to other people? um, And how do you often socialize with your friends and perhaps your family? I mean, as... uh, like most of us have been doing, it has been uh, virtual. And uh, I have been thinking a lot about 
since we are creatives, a lot of um, the jobs that we do, a lot of the projects that we do are not um, essential because we have been hearing a lot about essential worker. And so I've been trying to think how design or like creative processes touch different people uh, in our society and how we can make that better. Uh, so I have started this uh, community called Creative Huddle, where creatives from all around the world, it doesn't matter if they're designers or dancers or singers, they can all connect and work together to bring something meaningful to life. And um, I have also recently started a project called Project Omni, uh, uh, which, which I'm trying, that's more design focused and that's more personal to me and just trying to solve uh, some issues that's day-to-day -day issues that design can solve and make the world a better place. Mm. Yes, uh, that's great. Um, I think we, um, we're going to have more time for you to explain more about your journey and how you get into Create Auto, um, your new social project. Um, so before we start with our questions today, um, can you give us a little bit of your background and how you get into design? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Anish. I'm from India uh, originally. Right now, I'm between Boston and New York in the U.S. And um, I started to get into design from really young age, I would say. Um, I, I wasn't really, grab I didn't gravitate towards like traditional art. I always thought more digitally, as I, I would say. I was pretty like an organized kid. I think that also played the role. And then when I first got my hands on like Photoshop, started fixing people's hair and uh, their pimples and face, uh, yeah. and started making good things with their faces. Uh, I think that was like a start to my graphic design or um, that journey. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like most kids, I, I drew uh, like, you know, superheroes. I have like, <laughs> art books, sketchbooks, like filled with like superheroes uh, that I used to draw as kids, a kid. And like, I remember one of my first uh, drawings being of Teletubbies. That's, that was like a kid's cartoon that I, <laughs> my mom framed it. And I was like, okay, I achieved something. <laughs> so yeah, I did like that. Uh, wow, Fine. Yeah, it sounds a lot like how I got interested in design. I just was messing around with Photoshop, and um, and then all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, I this is something that I like to do. Um, like you know, it starts off with like a hobby of yours, and then all of a sudden, it turns into something more. Um, yeah. So we're gonna start off with the big question that we ask all our guests. Um, Tell us about your biggest mistake in your design career. What did you, and what did you learn from it? I, so usually I was just doing uh, stuff for myself. I, I wasn't really doing much uh, things or work that were for others to admire or others to use uh, until uh, high school when I had to, uh, I was helping like the math club uh, design their magazine. And uh, like we all know that like people consider math boring and things like that. So they, it, that was like one of my first projects where they wanted uh, math to be more interesting, uh, more appealing. So 
I remember uh, working on this uh, magazine and I, I picked up like Adobe InDesign uh, over like a weekend and I, I, I learned the basics. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna use this to design this. And now I look back at it and I see that magazine is like every page is like a poster because that's what I was used to doing on Photoshop. I used to make like single pieces and I treated this magazine as every page being like a poster. So, so I mean, if you look at them individually, they were pretty interesting. But later on, I learned that that's not how like consistency and everything works. And I think that made me be a better designer. Um, that's like a, one of the earliest projects that I remember in my career that I um, still have with me. And I look back at it and I it helps me remind myself how far I have come. So um, how did that impact your math club back then today? Um, did people see it and then people realize, oh, math is actually interesting. I'm going to sign up for a math class or something. Oh yeah, people absolutely loved it. Uh, I, I, I guess like a lot of the time, uh, uh, the audience does not know what is quote unquote good design or what designers consider good design. Um, and they loved it because that was the first time it, the magazine was going from uh, like black and white to colored. So people are really interested, gravitated towards it, uh, but if like another designer looked at it, they would not appreciate that, I feel, or I would not appreciate it now. <laughs> yeah, so, oh, sorry, go on. Go, go ahead, Brad. No, I, I was just saying that I think like a lot of designers, so certainly me, I, I always feel like when I look back at my old designs, I'm like, oh, did I really design that? So I think that's a like common sentiment among us. Um, and was that was that how you got into the design industry or just tell us more about how you got into the design industry yeah i mean that that part was when i realized that oh people actually like my stuff uh even if that wasn't at par uh my taste and my style now but uh me back then really liked all the appreciation and all the uh, praise, of course, like, um, I was still a, still a teenager and I, I loved the attention that I was getting. And I think the best part was that I figured out that not a lot of people can do what I am doing because in, I think a lot of the designers, when they get into using this, uh, this softwares, they think that, oh, this is great. I can do with it. But later on, you realize that you hit a plateau when everyone knows to use the tool now the question is how you're using it so i was able to figure that out uh how to use it or how to translate my ideas uh using those tools so yeah i, I would say that was the point i decided that yeah i want to pursue design as a career wow that's great um so have you along the way well let's say starting from that first designer you did uh, perhaps the first one that you did for the math uh, class. Um, have you found any challenges while designing any of that? And um, which one, um, which design that you often, maybe not often, but 
reflected on why looking back at it, seeing that, oh, okay, I, I could actually do it a little bit better, or, oh, maybe I made a mistake here, and maybe it's gonna help me the next, uh, with the next design. Have you, have you gone through that process? Um, I would say like the next milestone that I remember in my design journey is uh, in college when I was uh, I was designing this uh, brand identity and it was one of the first brand identities that I ever designed um, and my professor said that that's not going to work and it, it was for a real client even if we were in in class and I remember being very very stubborn and insistent in that I wanted to show that to the client because our class was divided into two parts and they were working in teams to present it. So he said, fine, if you feel so strongly, he's going to let me present it solo. And at, at the end, I ended up uh, winning that pitch. So yeah, so that was like a big boost to, because till that point I was questioning myself a lot about is my design good enough and things like that. But I think that was an affirmation uh, that people actually like my design. And there were around 20 of us and they worked in teams where I worked solo. So I think that was a good point, but I think a lot of the times we run into those situations and we become really arrogant, which did not happen to me because in uh, high school, after my that math project that I did, a lot of other clubs reach out to me to design their uh, magazine. So I ended up, I remember um, that Christmas break, I had designed four magazines in a span of a week. <laughs> um, and it was, yeah, I was not really sleeping much and I was just going crazy. And, but when I showed that to a designer, uh, because I was going to apply for college and I needed a portfolio. So I was taking advice and they said, well, this is, this is not really good. And they pointed out all the mistakes, like I uh, was mentioning. And then, so that was a point where I was hit hard, uh, that I had to get up from there. And that humbled me in a way that, uh, yeah, when I was making my portfolio. That's so interesting. So it's more about, um, you learn from, um, all the design challenges and looking back at them and then realize that, okay, um, I have to believe in myself, but also I have to be humble because there's only things to learn. And I think that's that's one of the things that I, um, I look back at my time at Suffolk University because Brad and I, we went to Suffolk together, uh, study design and um, looking back, I. I, I think I was on the same boat. I was in the same boat as, um, as you just mentioned. Not that um, I thought that my design was good, but um, I thought uh, I only thought out. Oh, okay, there, there, there's always an idea there um, to bring out from the design. So why, why don't other people see it? So that it makes me feel like, uh, how am I supposed, you know, how am I supposed to do about this? So, but, but I learned along the way that. Um, you just have to um, somehow, you know, take feedback from other people and see if you can improve, and then um, and then go from there. Because a lot of times you design something, and then it, you know a lot of people don't understand it. Um, and it's not because 
it's not your fault, it's just maybe it doesn't speak to the audience. So, yeah, and I think another thing that designers uh, confuse is like I was talking and you're also talking about believing in yourself and that's the difference between like being confident and overconfident. I think um, when you're young at your career, you tend to be overconfident a lot of the times thinking that I think there's a really small mar margin between those two is like yeah. there's a difference between I can do it and only I can do it. So. I think definitely believe in yourself that I can do it, but don't think that only I can do it. Like there are, there are probably better designers than you that uh, you can learn from. Yeah, that's a good point too. I feel like there's so many designers now, or like I just have been involved in so many design communities, Creative Huddle being one of them where like I realized that there's so many people who can do what I can do, but at the same time, I know that like what I bring to the table, just like compared to the world. Um, like, you know, I have a skill that not a lot of people have, so uh, that's great. Um, okay. Yeah, observation. Yeah, yeah it's, it's such a subjective uh, topic, like design and art. So anything that, anything that someone does or any individual that did, uh, like any art they produce is going to be unique. Yeah. Uh, so I think everyone just needs to keep that in mind. Yeah. So on on that note, like how how would you describe your own style? How do you differentiate from everyone else? I I think I don't have like a visual style per se. I mean, I do like uh, minimalist stuff. I do like colorful stuff, popping stuff. But at the end of the day, I focus on functionality because. Uh, like I said, I'm, I did not gravitate much towards traditional art. So even if aesthetics matter, if they need to be like tweaked or like change or we use just sometimes, you know, quote unquote, cheat while designing your stuff, I allow myself to do that. Uh, because at, at the end of the day, I'm more focused on how the design is functional and how it's telling the story. Yeah. Um, I love that um, almost a lot of stories that uh, that make a lot of uh, that make a lot of sense. Um, so then, let's say here a project that you have to do perhaps on your own or with team members. How? What is your design process of that project? Uh, perhaps it, you know it can be very. Uh, depends on the project, but can you tell us a little bit more of how you approach your design process? I would say 80% of my design process, or maybe even 90% of my design process is research and thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, because like I said, I learned at one point is that there are people who know to use Photoshop and they do a lot of stuff with it but that doesn't necessarily make them a better designer. The, the thing that makes you different is the art process. And I think 90, 80 to 90% of my process is just thinking why I am doing something. Because even if I come up with a great uh, brand element or something like that, there should be a why to it. And 
I found myself a lot of the time when I was in college trying to justify rather than finding the answer to why, like trying to justify why that works instead of why giving me the answer of that element, if that makes sense. Right. And, yeah. And um, so that what, whatever, whatever I used to do that, it's, it's not a sincere piece of work because then rather than keeping in mind why you're doing something and what you wanted to convey, you are just focusing on, oh, this looks cool. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that makes awesome. sense. Um, how do you, yeah, I, I think I, I see that you're, you're a UX designer as well. And I'm, I'm a UX designer too. Um, and that's a lot of what we, or that's what I found the difference between UX and the rest of the design industry is just like thinking about um, how this is going to look from like from a user standpoint. So, um, so how do you um, handle criticism from a client or if, even if it's just like feedback or something? I, I think you have to know when to push back. Um, so when, even if I'm taking a feedback, it depends on, it's the same lens of why is that criticism coming and where it's coming from. If I think their why is strong enough, or, uh, I mean, you can always miss a point when you're going through design process. So it just depends on if it's convincing enough to me. And if it's not, it's just a discussion. Uh, at the end of the day, they have come to you because they know you you have some, you can offer something that they can't do themselves. And also, but at the second uh, view, like you are also doing something for them, it's not for you. So there has to be like a good balance. Uh, they can give you their reasonings and you can give yours and just weigh it out. Um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of times people think that there is a like a war between the designer and a client, and you will see memes all yeah. around Instagram and Facebook. The client did this. The client told me to make the logo bigger, and I think you just have to explain it to them why something is the way uh, it is, because a lot of the clients that come to you. Uh, don't know how to visualize things, how to ideate things. So it's not only our job to just uh, make a design and pass it to them. It's also our responsibility to ha help them see uh, what you are seeing and why you are trying to make that. So I think it, there needs to be a couple of conversation um, with your clients even before you dive into um, making anything for them so that you are on the same page yeah that makes sense um you know <laughs> i think that that comes with the territory it feels like because it's it's not just your work i mean obviously you're you're actually designing whatever it is but it's also like their brand and their their stuff so there's a huge responsibility in that for sure um, yeah and a lot of the times if you're doing uh, freelance or something, I mean, I, I think it also depends on what kind of client you're working yeah, for. Yeah, of course. Working for like a corporate client and it's your full-time job, 
then you have less freedom, less say, then you should know how much you, sh you, you can push back. But if you're doing uh, maybe um, like working for, for a mom and pop uh, shop for uh, pro bono, and I encourage people to do free, free work right now yeah. for uh, during pandemic because a lot of businesses are struggling and they don't have a online presence. But then you can tell them, hey, I'm going to do this pro bono, but I need uh, complete uh, creative freedom. And that's a fair bargain. And yeah. they, they won't really push back on a lot of things. And you get to feel good about yourself that you are helping the society in some way. But that doesn't mean that you're going to go around doing free work every time. Right, yeah. of course. Yeah, that, I feel like it, it's there's a difference from like, volunteering versus like having like a company reach out to you saying like hey can you do this for free uh, yeah, exactly. so so yeah i i'm all for like going to different businesses and saying like hey i i can do that i have this certain type of skill can i do something for you so um particularly now i think it's it's helpful um what advice would you give to anyone who is interested in graphic design and well, the advice I would have is to just get started. Um, and this is not particularly to graphic design. Anything you want to learn or anything you want to do, you just have to start. Um, like I struggle with that myself sometimes because uh, a lot of the times I want things to be perfect. Um, I'm not like very OCD perfectionist mentality, but I do have in some way, like if I want to start something, I want the brand to be in place or things like that. But you just have to start. Once you start, things will uh, fall into place, but you just have to start. I think that's the best advice I can give. Yeah, I, um, I agree with you on that. I think uh, you touch on a very important point, um, especially for a lot of uh, creative people uh, because if we have something in our mind and we don't even make a small step, a step towards it, um, I think it it just becomes harder and harder um, later on to just start. Um, if you, let's say you have a plan for doing a project uh, solo, um, you don't have to do something super crazy. You just have to start what you said with maybe, um, yeah, today I'm just gonna start uh, creating a box, for example. And then from there, you keep improving the box and then it's gonna get better and better by then. Um, mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with you on that and it's, it's an excellent point. Um, so then, let's say you have to deal with a lot of projects, right? You have, mm -hmm. you have a lot of ideas, you work for this company, that company, perhaps sometimes you have yeah, your own outlet to do uh, with other people. Seems like too much, too much going on, especially right now as well. Um, how do you manage uh, all that and how do you find a balance for yourself? Um, you know, like, because it's too much stress, too much, um, going on out there in terms of social injustice, healthcare, 
yeah and money and time and everything how do you how do you manage all that i think uh for me like personally i i i mean in the very uh base level i do have a to-do this to do every day so i mean even if i have like a big project in mind i break it down into small parts and do it um i think i am a good planner um but uh just to point out that doesn't mean that i'm always a good executor uh i think a lot of that has to go hand in hand in order to achieve something so sometimes i fail but I think planning ahead of things uh, keeps me in good shape uh, because even if did I didn't see the pandemic coming or all all the chaos going in the world, if I put down things, then I can forget about it and just execute it later. So I can focus on one thing at a time. Uh, so I just write it down. Um, I think that's the best thing you can do. Just even if you write a very big task, you can break it down into small pieces. And if you make sure you do your best in all those small pieces, your big goal will be achieved. That makes sense. Yeah, time management is very important for sure. Um, how do you know when you are done with a project? Um, like, do you go that far in advance? Um, no, I don't go that far in advance in, in, in planning it. Uh, but there is something called MVP in uh, when you're working at a tech company or you, you work um, in UI UX, you might yep. be familiar, it's minimum uh, viable product. So that means that uh, just to put it in way, there's like version one. So what right. would I like to have in version one? And this doesn't only apply to projects or design. Like if I'm, for example, trying to uh, learn uh, cooking, uh, a new dish, right? So I learned maybe I'm making ramen. So I'm making sure, okay, this time I'll make ramen. I'll make sure that my broth is perfect. Um, so I focus on the broth and then, uh, next time I can focus on the noodles and a third time when I put them together, they will be better than the previous two times. But if I keep focusing and fixated myself on making the whole thing the best at the first time, then I would a not be that happy. So if I'm not that happy, then I won't be as motivated to keep doing that. So I, I, I uh, put those like small uh, goals in mind. So uh, thinking that, okay, if I have this, I can po probably put this into the world, then come back and get this so whenever i sometimes now if i'm talking only about design projects i write it uh these are things i wanted in my first version then i type like nice to have and maybe like dream uh, i i have so many note-taking apps that i write things down and <laughs> uh, now i'm finally like able to organize those thoughts in like uh one app and yeah, it's it's a lot of thoughts, and you have to write them down when you come across them, or you lose it. Yeah, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense to me when you say that, when you break down things, and uh, the ramen example is an excellent um, concept of like how you break down things, and then you don't have to make the entire thing perfect. Um, such 
like you say, you're not gonna have, you're not gonna be happy. Second, it's not gonna go anywhere um, further, and you're gonna get frustrated. So it it happens to me. So I I I think you you touched on that very very well, um, and I wonder. So how what are note-taking apps that you're using? I'm just curious to know. Um, I, is it is it more? Um, I don't know because sometimes I use both, meaning um, apps and papers. Um, yeah. Which one more effective for you? Um, I think it <laughs> it depends. I mostly use apps nowadays because uh, first of all, it's easy to search things. Uh, that's the main thing. Uh, and nowadays, most apps like sync across platforms and things like that. So it's easier to, uh, even if you're on your phone, you can take notes, you can take notes on your laptop, iPad, whatever. Um, but sometimes when I'm too distracted and I have to uh, focus, then I would use a pen and paper because uh, notifications pop up when you're trying to write an idea down or yeah. someone calls. So that can be really distracting. So if you are, if you really want to focus something, then I would definitely advise uh, a pen and paper. But uh, I've been using Notion a lot, and I think if you're a designer, you might have heard of Notion. Yeah. And it's, it's so much more than just a note-taking apps, and it just helps organize. I think that's the main thing. So sometimes I will uh, type things in like the note app on the phone, but mostly I use Notion to like organize everything. I have so many workspaces open, so many tabs, but at the end of the day, I know if I look uh, into this tab, I'll find this thing. So I mostly use apps. That's great. I mean, looking looking at my um, way of, uh, you know, note taking and all that, um, I like to have a lot of tabs open. I like to have different workspaces and all that. <laughs> Sometimes I run into the problem that is uh, my computer is so slow and it's not functioning correctly. So it, it just sometimes I just feel like, oh my gosh, um, I wish I could actually do this more, but then the computer started to to go you know crazy and yeah it, i mean that's something that you can control really but uh, i'm just saying um just some sometimes i also like just if i have like a lot of thoughts rush through my mind and i have to i know that it's too much i just open the voice note like voice memo and just mm. just record what i have to say and later <laughs> i can take notes from the voice memo uh, and this is especially useful when I'm like outside. I mean, now no one is outside, but before, right. if you're like going out with your friends and especially in a place like New York, you're always constantly on the move. So yeah. Yeah, then I used to use that method a lot too. Yeah, sure. Um, um, so the next question we're gonna ask you um, is about being creative. So mm -hmm. what does it mean to you and um, and how do you how do you interpret of being a creative person? I think the answer to that is in the word creative, right? To create. So that I think anyone who creates anything, 
uh, is a creative, according to me. And but this um, the creative industry, especially in the U.S., is not very accessible to everyone. And it can I have uh, like encountered circles who are very like elitist, uh, who are very snobby, and um, there there's like kind of this like gatekeeping idea, uh, which is which is something that I don't like. And um, so I think anyone who creates, anyone, someone who is making like a, you know, coffee, I mean, they're creating something. Uh, a poet is of course considered a creative, but anyone, uh, I think anyone who can create a new idea is a creative. They don't have to have something physically made. It just, if you can think about a new idea or uh, a tangent to an existing idea that is creative too. Right. I like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned, I mean, I think you mentioned cooking before, and I think that's a form of yeah. uh, like a creative outlet. Um, exactly. ha- have you found that having a creative outlet like cooking or something that's different from your job uh, to be important? And, and um, how, how so? Um, yeah, so I, when I was younger, I, was, I sang for like a long time, oh, wow. a long part of my life. So I sang for like 11 years and I used to, I used to sing like Indian classical music wow. and I definitely found that uh, a really good creative outlet. And I have like since stopped after college, got really busy and everything, <laughs> uh, but now during quarantine i've definitely picked up cooking like a lot of people and i'm enjoying that a lot i I mean that day we got takeout after months and i was thinking to myself like huh i i think i can make better than this um so i mean i'll probably be eating home most of my time (laughs) from now on i I mean it is healthy for you too so that's yeah definitely yeah. yeah yeah I like that. Uh, I wonder if you can actually sing for us on a show. Yeah. <laughs> no, that that is for another podcast. Okay. 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 We'll, we'll save that's that fair. for perhaps next the second time you you come back. Yeah, yeah. we're like we're like break we're breaking news podcast apparently with, <laughs> with this snippet here. All right. Awesome. That's great to hear. I like yeah. that a lot. Um, so, okay. So we are coming to uh, near the end of our conversation here. Um, a couple more questions that we'd like to ask you. Um, I know that you are involved in the creative photo. Perhaps you can tell us more about it and what are other current projects that you're working on right now? Yeah, so Creative Huddle started uh, in July uh, of this year, so 2020, if you're listening to this in the future. uh, And it, it was during like a virtual conference that a lot of people are trying to connect to each other to, uh, you know, keep the conversation going uh, after the uh, conference was over. And it was really difficult. And this also ties back to my point about how people look at creatives, like they consider some part of the creative industry to be more glorified than the other. And there is this a hierarchy 
uh, between like different levels of creatives. Uh, uh, some people are getting to work with uh, big companies, not certainly because they're good creatives, is because they have a reputation of being a good creative. So all those things and um, the narrative of uh, <clears throat> of like uh, design, especially uh, being from like a American perspective. So I thought that maybe we need a community uh, where we can discuss about these things. Mm. And and then um, so I thought like where where can we start? And I just made a sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, Are you right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I don't know. I choked on water to my Yeah. And so on. We can okay. cut this out if you want. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna need some water too. Yeah, I was going, I, I was trying to push through. That's why my voice was like going. Yeah, because I haven't drank water. It's, it's okay. I have my water right next to me, so I'm just like, oh. Uh, that's, that's great. Um, so. Yeah, let, let me go back to where I was. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe I can quickly uh, un- start the answer and yeah. if, if you guys are not in a hurry. That's fine. Um, we'll, we'll cut this part out, so don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, Creative Huddle uh, is a online community. Uh, we started in July of 2020, if you're listening to this in the uh, future. And uh, this was started during a... Um, virtual conference uh, where people wanted to keep the conversation going after the conference was over. When um, was the uh, conference? Uh, it was an AIGA conference uh, in the US. Okay, but like what uh, What month? Was uh, it, it? It, was in, uh, it was in July too. Oh, it was yeah. in July, okay. Yeah, so this started at the end of that conference because at the beginning to keep in touch with each other, we had like a Google Sheet and people are putting the information but yeah. then it ended up becoming a lot of people so it was getting out of control and so i made this community which uh mostly lives on slack but we meet through like zoom and other um you know platforms yep. and i just wanted people to concentrate more on the conversation of like important conversation uh of being a creative rather than just being like uh, uh, this is a community where we uh, grow professionally. I mean, of course, that's also one of the focus, but I want people to talk about, for example, uh, what is plagiarism, like last conversation that we were having right. and what is okay as inspiration, what is not. So uh, conversations like that. So yeah, that's how Creative Huddle came into being. Yeah. And uh, this other uh, project that I recently started uh, as of this weekend uh, that is called Project Omni. So Project Omni uh, just focuses on like global collaboration between designers to solve design problems that can make the world better. So right now I'm focusing on uh, collecting uh, typefaces from different languages, especially the minority languages. Uh, which are almost in their endangered phase. Uh, so uh, the information can be uh, captured. And I think, uh, so I'm talking to a lot of like type designers from different countries and 
talking about the uh, problems uh, and issues that they're facing. Because if you're putting a lot of time designing a typeface for a language that's like almost endangered, it's probably not going to have any uh, commercial value. So I think that's also, so those are the uh, type of challenges that uh, we face. And I'm trying to talk to uh, these different designers uh, and come up with a solution. Wow, that sounds so interesting. And I just feel like I want to be part of it. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. Uh, we're, like one of our focus is also that uh, uh, type design community is really uh, small. And so basically everyone is busy uh, doing other stuff. So we're also trying to create a tool by which we can bring in like graphic designer and illustrator into the uh, conversation. So uh, so that they can do some of the initial work that and pass it on to the type designer so they can make the like typeface more uh, functional and like uh, do the testing and everything. So definitely you can check out the website and you know, contribute. That's yeah, cool, yeah. We would like to help out too. Yeah, uh, that's cool. Um, yeah, and you also work for Pega as well, so that's also, uh, you also have like a full-time job yeah, on yeah, top of everything. Um, what, one more question I'd like to ask, um, since my curiosity is good right now, um, in your background, I think that you, that you had an Asian start that you, you know, used to uh, study Asian cultures, and you also had a, an opportunity to go to Japan. Um, did you did you learn the language there? And um, is that how your inspiration got? Uh, is that how your inspiration came from for this particular project? Uh, so no, but uh, the short answer is no. But I mean, I didn't want to sound like condescending, but uh, the short <laughs> is no. But I uh, did go to uh, Japan. So uh, our college had a program where incoming freshmen can go to Japan for two weeks and then they would, uh, you know, pay for everything. And you just had to uh, like commit to learn Japanese for a year. And okay. I knew that uh, while coming to the US to study, I was going to learn a new language. I thought at first of uh, being like a very like logical person, I was like, I'll learn Spanish because that's second uh, most spoken language in the US. But right. then I said, okay, I, I'm down to learn Japanese. It's a language and a script that's different than any other language I know. Um, so that's how I signed up. And later after those two uh, weeks, I got really interested in that i mean i grew up watching pokemon and digimon and all this <laughs> anime oh tell me about it <laughs> yeah so then i i was like okay i'm going to go study abroad there so i did go to japan for a whole semester almost for like six months wow. and uh, that did influence a lot of my design style and everything because mm. uh, also the thought of like how the conversation of design is different in western culture and um, Asian culture, like I remember designing something uh, vertically. So I did this typography project and I designed something that was written vertically. And my professors were, they were really 
unhappy. They said like this is not how it works. Um, it it should be horizontal. They were not letting me break um, the rules, but that got me thinking: who makes the rules? Because in Asia, most of the things are written vertically. Right. Um, a lot like like one of the biggest languages uh like mandarin uh like they write things vertically like even like other chinese languages too so that did influence me but the project comes out of my own uh culture so i'm from a state called assam in india and our script is very similar uh, to bengali or bangla uh, which is uh, widely spoken in bangladesh and uh, or like is spoken in Bangladesh and West Bengal in India, but our scripts are very similar. So, Assamese typefaces are very rare to find, or they are not well uh, up to date uh, because they just use a Bengali typeface to type whatever they need. But there's a struggle there because they're two different languages. So there are minute details, but they have to find a workaround. So thinking about that, I was thinking then maybe I should make a typeface for Assamese, uh, which I'm working on right now. But what about other languages uh, that are around the world, which are less well-known than Assamese? Because Assamese has 15 million speakers, and that's a lot of speakers. If right. a language like that is being undermined, then what about like the languages uh, which have even less speakers than that? So that's yeah. how the project is going to be. That's very fascinating. Um, I am very interested in languages and all, um, but I only speak. I'm actually from Vietnam originally, so I speak that. I speak yeah. in English, of course. And then right now, I'm just putting myself learning Spanish. Um, yeah. And I didn't even know that. <laughs> it's it's um, now you do. Yeah, now I do. <laughs> Breaking news! This is a breaking news podcast, apparently. Yeah, so we can talk in Spanish a little bit. <laughs> that would be a big task yeah. for me. <laughs> I only yeah. took three years of Spanish in high school. I don't think I remember any of it now. So, yeah, I I grew up learning three languages, and then all of I definitely grew up learning English. Then I spoke Hindi and Assamese, which is my mother tongue that I mentioned. Yeah. And then they have sister languages. So like Bangla and uh, Uriya and Nepali, these are similar. So I understand all those languages like Punjabi and well, yeah. And then, then I learned Japanese. So I do have a background of knowing a lot of languages, but that's, that's, I think that's what played, played a role in starting this project. Right. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're going to end this podcast with a, we usually have a silly question to end things on because it's like, you know, we went from very serious <laughs> to now, like, you can relax a little. Um, yeah. So what are your current browsers, like tabs that you always have on or even just book, like, what are your favorite websites to, to go on pretty much? I think it's not very interesting answer. I've just been on YouTube a okay. lot uh, but at the same time i think my taste has changed yeah. in YouTube. Um, same. like i i somehow during these months at the beginning uh, it was a lot of how-to videos and like <laughs> learning a lot about history too uh, since i i'm not from the us i had to learn about all this 
you know, right. difficult conversation about racial injustice and things like that. So at, at the beginning, there are a lot of um, how tos, then it moved to that, learning about yeah. the US history, and then it moved to like a little bit of cooking, like let's yeah. learn how to cook. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, I would say uh, YouTube has been like one of the most visited websites for me. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting answer. I'll, I'll give you that. I mean, I, I always go on YouTube just like I can get lost in YouTube just by like clicking all the related videos after I watch one. I watch yeah. like a bunch after. It's just their algorithm is so addictive. It's kind of yeah, like... Yeah, now yeah. after apps like TikTok came, and Instagram, they realized yeah. that they want to take away all the powers from the user and yeah. just uh, like very really rely on the recommended section so uh, we have our youtube plugged into our tv so i just make sure when my brother is watching i tell him <laughs> don't watch anything on my account i don't want you don't some, want to be suggested yeah, some random thing <laughs> yeah i don't want some random things that that's i don't funny. like popping up yeah, that yeah is that's funny. actually a very smart um, way to kind of like control and uh, filter your uh your videos for me it's just a bunch of soccer highlights yeah, <laughs> yeah i do have a act like a separate uh gmail only for design related youtube so i don't get cluttered when i'm on there that's great that's, that's funny awesome. i like that um and then uh lastly where can people find you online oh uh, yeah you can find me in uh, aabora.com so that's two a's then bora b-o-r-a-h uh, if you go to the website, then you can find me anywhere uh, on the web. You can find my email, my Instagram, and yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, anything. Uh, yep. uh, yeah. Cool. All right. Very, very cool. Um, this has been awesome. Um, we, I think we had a great conversation today yep. about you and ourselves and also some other um, amazing skills um and ideas and concepts um i just want to say that on behalf of our team it's perfect um i just want to thank you thank you anish for taking your time of course um i know um it's a very crazy time and everybody's been super super busy uh perhaps um you know some trying to help others and and the other way around as well. So, yeah, just want to say that we enjoyed our conversation, conversation a lot, and we just hope that our listeners will as well. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Pixel Perfect Talk, or visit our website at pixelperfect.blog for more information. And like Brad mentioned earlier, this episode will come out very soon. Um, and yeah, we just hope that everybody will listen and enjoy and um, we will keep this podcast going and make it better yep. for, for the future. Um, thank you again for listening and until next time, everybody stay safe and healthy. Um, my name is Andy Dong and my co-host is Brett Duboff and we're signing off. Keeping with the theme of our podcast, we're always looking to improve and want to hear from you. And so you can email us at pixelperfecttalk at gmail.com 
or message us on Instagram at Pixel Perfect Talk as well. We we love doing this and we look forward to doing more of these kind of episodes. Um, it's been a fun journey so far for us, and we're still growing and all that stuff. But uh, see, uh, stay safe, everyone, and uh, see you next year.